Hey, Cole, are you ready for some zombies today? Sure. Excellent, because today I've got a remake of Night of the Living Dead, now with 100% more penises. Yay! Welcome to Second to Die, a horror fiction podcast where we talk about lots of things. And sometimes horror. And sometimes horror. I'm Max. And I'm Cole. And two things. A, why are you laughing at me? And B, why are you talking in your soothing ASMR voice? It's because the way that you're sipping that tea right now with both hands on the mug, it just looks like you're doing this like cozy Hallmark commercial thing. My life is a cozy Hallmark commercial. Cole just woke up from a nap, so he's having some tea. I enjoy naps. (laughs) If anyone's curious, and I know none of you are curious, I'm having an espresso chai tea. It's delicious. (laughs) Don't judge me. I know this is a horror podcast where I don't know people drink the blood of Satan. I don't know. But I like tea as well. You can have it both ways. Get you a man that does both. No, I like tea. I mean, you drink tea far more than I do. We do. We. I'm definitely more of a coffee person, although we're both coffee people. I just drink like probably more than any human should ever, which is abundantly clear by how quickly you speak. Oh boy, yeah. I mean, if I don't have coffee for literally like half a day, I go into caffeine withdrawal. That is not a joke. Don't even talk to him before he has his caffeine. <laughs> I'm not, to be honest, I'm not like that. I wake up, I'm pretty awake when I wake up. You are. But I do like, I prefer to have my coffee too, but I I have my mornings where I'm like, oh man, this is a rough start. But like, generally speaking, like once I'm like awake and out of bed, I'm like raring to go. And we get up like very early. I get up very early. Oh, f- I'm sorry. 5 a.m. isn't early. I guarantee you people listening to this. In fact, leave us a comment if you want. I get up at 5. Cole gets up at 4. But I don't get up early. Okay. I get up at 4 and oftentimes I get a text about 6.15 that Max overslept. Well, that's if I oversleep. Because I get up at 5 to try to make the gym for 6. Anyways, this is all so boring. All right, so we have our tea. No, we don't. I finished it. <laughs> it was good. Well, we're still, we spill tea all the time, 24 7 on this podcast, bringing it to you. Not live. No. <laughs> I was about to say live. No, never live. Anyway, tell me about your movie. Let's get back to zombie penises. Yes. I, I mean, I've watched that porn, but. Oh, yeah, like um, uh, Bruce LaBruce, L.A. Zombie with Francois Sagat. Yes, that's yes. exactly what I'm talking about. God, that's, oh boy, I have coworkers that listen to this. <laughs> to be clear, I mean, in all fairness, I don't think that there's like a lot of zombie porn out there. I don't think it's, I mean, it could be this niche genre that I'm just like very unfamiliar with. But I feel like everybody at one point has kind of seen that. If not, it's going to be a real fun Google lesson for a lot of our fans. Anyways, it's called Ellie Zombie. It's literally zombie porn. I don't know. It was, it got a lot of hype for a while as being this kind of like artistically done situation, but it really is just 
super hardcore gay porn. But with zombies. With zombies and blood, like, everywhere. Like, everywhere. And I mean... <laughs> this is such a weird episode. I'm so sorry, everyone. If this is the first episode you're listening to, I promise it's not all like this. Yeah. I imagine blood's not, like, good lube either. Especially not fake blood. Oh, my God. Because fake blood, you know, the probably the most popular recipe for fake blood is with corn syrup. Can you even imagine Chinese I'd rather not. Oh, that, that has to get so sticky. Also full of carbs. I have a coworker who listens to this podcast. Hi, Laura. I'm so sorry. <laughs> it's cool. So, okay. So, why bring up zombie penis? Not that it's the most relevant thing to this movie, but I'll just sort of talk about this movie and then we'll get sidetracked some more. I'm actually very excited because today I'm, well, for two reasons. One, I'm reviewing a movie that somebody had reached out on a horror forum because he made this movie and he was looking for people to review it. And, well, actually, he somebody referred him to us, basically, and was like, hey, these guys review movies and I guess they're not too bad at it. And so, like, he messaged and asked if I would review this movie. So, I was like, sure, of course, that sounds super rad, because I love when people send suggestions, which you're welcome to do at any time. And so, basically, a gentleman named Roger Connors, who is the director and writer, and also one of the stars of this movie, sent me this movie called Rebirth, that is coming out this year. I don't even know if he's necessarily, like, officially released it to the public, or if he's planning on doing it. I think it is theoretically available, the Facebook group for it, if you want, is Rebirth Official Movie Page. It's just one word, so you can find the Facebook, and then you can probably watch this movie. But it is very cool. The other reason I was excited about it is because it's essentially... I know I said a remake earlier. I would say it's more of an homage to Night of the Living Dead, which is, of course, probably my favorite horror movie if I had to pick one. For a lot of reasons. And the reason it's my favorite horror movie is sort of part of what makes this version of it or this sort of tribute to it really good. And I am very glad that to say that I actually did quite enjoy this movie. And I am really glad because I had a fear that I wasn't going to like it. And then I was going to have this moral dilemma of whether I could make fun of it or not. And that would be really awkward. Yes. And that being said, I will say that if I did not like this movie, I would 100% make fun of it and probably just this guy would be really mad at me. So I'm not saying I liked it just because somebody that I don't really know reached out and was like, hey, review my movie. Even though, you know, he is this kind of small indie guy and I do like to support them. The movie is legitimately worth seeing. So, But I, I won't say it's like the most perfect thing I've ever seen. So like when there are there are, there might be some things that I didn't 100% like love or care for. But in general, I thought it was great. It is funny, though, because when I was first talking to him about uh, doing it, he warned me that this was a low budget film. He was like, just let you know, it's pretty low budget. So, like, be prepared for that. And I'm laughing because, one, I like low budget movies. Second of all, this film did not seem that low budget to me. And I don't know if maybe my standards are just very weird. I mean, I watched Killer Pinata. So, like, what? (laughs) I almost did it for this show, but it was not. Well, maybe I will at some point, but it's like not worth it. Oh my God. It's like a super B movie. But so like this movie did not seem that low budget to me. Like the special effects are actually quite well done. 
and not even like cheap special effects. Like it looks like there's some like advanced editing required for some of them. And the production quality seemed to me great. I mean, is it big, huge studio blockbuster quality? No, of course not. But it's definitely not like home project community college film school. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I interned for the local TV station when I was in high school and I edited a lot of those type of things. And I actually like that kind of a movie, but it's not like that level of quality either. All right. So I was braced for that. And then the other thing too, that I was actually very shocked by is the acting in this is like really good. Like the actors are all really good. And usually when you get the kind of like low budget indie kind of movies, sometimes some of the acting can be a little bit questionable. And I wouldn't say that the entire cast is Meryl Streep, but they were like, I don't know. I was really impressed by it. And it made you actually care about the characters. And there's not a single character in this that I was like, I can't handle this person or their acting is bad. And most of the characters, I really thought to myself multiple times, like, wow, this is good. The char- There's a character, Ben, played by Aswin. I think it's Aswin. I hope that's how you say that. Harris. And I the whole time was like, this guy is like super good. I don't know. So, that being said, I'm not going to go... So, okay, this is essentially a tribute or homage or take on Night of the Living Dead. I'm not really going to go into, like, the plot. One, it's a very recent movie, obviously. Two, the the biggest things to mention would be how it differs from Night of the Living Dead, but I don't really want to say that because they're kind of surprises. Most of them happen a little bit more towards the end. And a large portion of this movie really is essentially exactly night of the living dead so the sort of slight or subtle or not so subtle changes are very important and impactful so i'm not going to give them away but when you're watching this if you're thinking this is literally just a knockoff night of the living dead i promise you it is not there are some differences and the differences that he chooses to make give almost more well give more of a modern take on the social implications of this movie the original dealt with a lot of things such as racism uh, misogyny sexism things like that this also deals with those same subjects in a very similar fashion it adds homophobia i believe roger connors is in the lgbtq community and the character he plays who is the main character, who actually, in the original, it's the character of Barbara. So that character is completely replaced by this character of Adam instead, played by Roger Connors. And though he never says it, it's, like, very heavily implied that he is a gay man. I mean, he's wearing, like, this, like, great outfit of skinny black jeans, these, like, riding boots, and then this, like, really cool trench coat, this, like, tan, like, fashion trench coat. It's it's really awesome. Those boots were, like, a bad choice for running from zombies, though. I'm going to tell you that right now. <laughs> There was literally one point in the movie where I'm like, oh, my God, he's still in those boots. And, like, that can't be very comfortable. Anyway, so because the character of Barbara is replaced by essentially a gay character, there is this sort of addressing of homophobia in the movie as well. Which is cool. I mean, that movie is very political. I will at some point, probably for more of like a a landmark episode, talk about Night of the Living Dead because it is kind of monumental i guess but yeah i don't know this movie it was cool it start I'll, I'll talk a little bit about it like it starts off almost exactly the same and so it i like it because you kind of got an idea of what you were in for you start off in a graveyard it's these two brothers uh adam and johnny that they're visiting a grave 
And then immediately it's like you see these like this like really disheveled guy like walking towards him and then his eyes glow. The zombie's eyes glow in this movie like kind of like um, not all the time. Almost like this weird like sci-fi effect. Like Jawas. <laughs> it's not that constant. So it's not quite like Jawas. It's more of like a pulsing at times. And that's kind of how you know they're zombies. Although like the blood and missing limbs also tips you off. But so they start like shambling towards them and like attacking them. The brother gets killed. This is literally the first part of the movie. And it's also the exact same scene in Night of the Living Dead. So I'm not like spoiling anything. And so you kind of I like it because it's so close to the original that you sort of get an idea of what you're in for. And they end up like, you know. I could go through it, but like I said, I just don't think it's worth it. And you should really just like watch it because it's less the plot, which I would think most people are kind of familiar with. Although if you're not familiar with the plot of Night of the Living Dead, I don't know. Maybe I'm just like completely off base here. But essentially all these different people from sort of like, I guess, different social backgrounds, religious backgrounds and stuff end up in this house where all these like zombies are surrounding it. And it's like the night that they spend in there together. And their interactions are a lot of what the kind of social commentary is. Oh, yes. I know literally nothing about Night of the Living Dead. I know so little about it that I just had pieced together that it's about zombies, hence Living Dead. (laughs) Um, But that should tell you just how little I know about it. Yeah. So that's that's basically the premise is that all these different people eventually kind of like end up and they're all and they're very different people, like people that would never normally interact. And they're getting through this. And it's kind of how they cope with that if they start to. Honestly, most of them don't really have any new outtakes on other all these other people. Instead, it's more of like there's a lot of tension and expressions of kind of hatred and things like that. So it's like Breakfast Club with death. And without like a happy ending. I've never seen Breakfast Club either, so I'm just <laughs> really making leaps here. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Oh, God, I'm a mess. The other thing I really like about this movie is um, this one and the original is it's the slow zombies. And I don't know if I've mentioned on the podcast, but I know I've mentioned it to you just in general. I am a fan of slow zombies. I don't like the super hyped up genetic experiments better than people run at you faster than like a velociraptor zombie. I like the like slow shambling doom coming towards you like that kind of a thing. And that's what these things are. It's really like slow shambling zombies that like there's so many of them. They kind of end up being having this horde effect and you can't really get like you can't get safe because they're just constantly coming for you. Yeah. So I like that. I also did appreciate the effort that they put in in Rebirth into the zombies. Like they all have a story like you looked at these zombies and it didn't just look like they just hauled a bunch of sort of background extras into a room, painted them like zombies and sent them on their way. Like they kind of have like outfits or stories. The zombie penis in it, for instance, it's like very clear that it was a corpse, like from a morgue. Like he has autopsy scars and incisions. Oh, and so that's why he's naked. Oh, okay. And so you get a lot of, it, it, it just added more to, I think to the atmosphere is it looks like real situations, real people. And so I thought that was kind of interesting. And the zombie penis was nice if you're into zombie penises. As we've we've, we've touched upon that topic. <laughs> touched upon. 
Or maybe we've just opened up a whole new world to some people out there. We're changing lives here on Second to Die. Sexual awakenings for everybody. Yeah. I I don't know. I have always loved zombie stuff. So I was pretty pretty hyped for more zombie movies. I I don't know what it is about zombies that I find so appealing. I think there's a realism aspect to it. Yeah, I also think that there's something to be said about like the people, like your community around you becoming the monsters. If that makes sense, like I grew up in the Panhandle of Florida, that makes perfect sense. <laughs> They already were monsters the whole time. (laughs) Oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, I think that's part of it, though, too, though, is that, like, the people, it's, I don't know, this is probably too cerebral for this podcast, but it's, like, the people around you that you view as monsters, it's maybe it's, like, their inner monsters coming out and their zombies and they're all coming to get you. Because I think for a lot of people who grew up feeling different or out of place, Honestly, sometimes that's how life felt was that like you were surrounded by people you didn't understand. And quite often, especially, to be honest, for people who are different and not in the normal, like not normal, not in like a more like socially. uh, What am I trying to say? Standardized way. I feel like they are targeted a lot by sort of the masses. And I kind of get that. And so. And I know, like, the whole issue of, like, bullying aside and stuff like that, even still, like, growing up, I think I always felt like the community around me. Now, granted, I was, like, a super goth growing up in very religiously conservative part of the Midwest. I think you did feel that people were constantly, like, not wanting to be your friends. Yeah. I don't know if I would say I feared for, like, my safety or anything, but, like, I definitely knew that, like, there was a lot of judgment coming at me. When I left the house. Yeah. Even though I looked fantastic. My sweet little goth baby. I know. Those days. Well, it's like, you know, like I would leave the house in these like black velvet skirts. But to be honest, Michigan is cold. It was like practical. You could not wear that here. Oh, that did actually remind me of something I was going to bring up because of the zombies. um, And like looking like real people and stuff. I thought of. Have you seen that meme where it's like dress every day like they would be your ghost clothes? Like, yes, I have. <laughs> I was thinking about that and I was like, oh man, because essentially they're not ghosts, obviously, so they could theoretically change the clothes, but the zombies are still wearing their clothes. And I was like, God, what would I want my zombie clothes to be? Or my ghost clothes? I guess like you don't care much for comfort, right? So you just want to look cool. I mean, my ghost clothes would probably involve a sweater vest. <laughs> like a pilly cardigan. Or both. Give it time. When it gets colder, I will combine a cardigan with my sweater vest. Yeah, I feel like I feel like statistically speaking, I'm probably just gonna end up being in like a hoodie with jeans. Yes. Can confirm. One hundred percent can <laughs> confirm you will be in a hoodie and jeans with some sort of graphic t shirt underneath. I'll I'll be that ghost that like haunts you and people are like are you trying to do a tech startup I don't know know. if you're listening to this and you want to comment you can tell us what you would want your ghost clothes to be I'm trying to get people to be more interactive I think that could be fun well I I think that could be fun I'm not sure about you but 
I was about to say, me with my social anxiety over here is just like, what? <laughs> I like when people message and stuff. I'm like, oh, somebody messaged. Reply, reply, reply. I like it too. I reply to, I'm the one who replies to all of the book messages. Yes. And comments. But I'll be honest, I usually leave the rest of them to Max. He's better at that than I am. Yeah. I try, I mean, neither of us are social media wizards. But we do our best. Anyway, okay. Back on track. And I knew that this was going to be a shorter one for me because I don't want to like, I didn't want to give a blow by blow of this plot. I had kind of bounced around the idea in my head of talking about some of the differences from this and the, and the original but because I found them to be kind of impactful in watching them, all I can say is I would definitely go see this. Or, well, you're probably not going anywhere for multiple reasons, but this is one you're going to stream because I think that's how he's releasing it. So I would absolutely recommend to go see this. They're, the acting is really good. It really does pull you in. You care about these characters. You want to see them. I was, like I said, I can't, I, I don't know, maybe it sounds like I'm gushing too much and stuff, but like I can't emphasize how much compared to other sort of independent projects I've seen, how much better quality in production and acting this is. And so that was, was great. And even like uh, Roger Connors who directed it too, like he's very, very good in it. His character is very similarly played like the original character in Night of the Living Dead. Uh, It's a lot of sort of shock and terror and, it's just done really well. That's all I can say. And I like this. even the zombie actors. They were great. You just like that you got to see a zombie penis. I mean, there's never. I was gonna. I was gonna say there's never a penis I don't like to see, but that's hundred percent not true. Nope. Mm-hmm. But I. I mean, I don't know. I think. I think we should normalize showing penises in movies. Not from like a pervy standpoint. I actually just don't care. I'm very comfortable with nudity. I wish, to be honest, this country was more comfortable with male nudity instead of just having, I don't know, honestly, instead of just treating women like they're objects to be gawked at and ogled on screen. But (laughs) we've gone on several rants this episode. Well, yeah, I'm a little bit scatterbrained. I don't know why today more so but i also feel a little bit less sort of tethered to a script or anything because uh the sort of like just the nature of what i'm doing anyways i'm just gonna wrap this up final thoughts rebirth 2020 because i think there might have actually been another film from a different year that used that title so you're looking for 2020 rebirth as i said i would find on facebook rebirth official movie page go check that out i'm sure you can find a link to it so you can watch it It's absolutely worth your time. When I do Night of the Living Dead, I may honestly even come back to this just to talk about the differences because enough time will have passed that giving away what he changes wouldn't be that annoying, I guess. And so, yeah. And if you like Night of the Living Dead and you watch this and you see the changes, feel free to drop us a comment about what you thought of the changes and stuff. And also, this guy just seemed really cool. So you should go support him. Support local. Support indie. Yay. Anyways, that's Rebirth. Fresh take on a classic zombie film. Now, tell me what you're going to talk about. Did someone say Grady Hendrix? What? No? Just me? In my dreams? Huh? (laughs) Who's Grady Hendrix? Do you like Grady Hendrix? 
Maybe. I don't know. Um, I'm obsessed with Grady Hendrix, as everyone knows at this point. And today I am doing Horror Store. So it was published in 2014, which takes me back to my first library job where I was asked to write a staff recommendation review about it. And I declined because it was very shortly after I got hired. And sometimes you have to ease your coworkers into knowing you like weird shit. Wait, did they ask you to write this review specifically or they just asked you to write like some review? The person who was in charge of like gathering the staff reviews was working the circ desk when i checked it out oh okay and she emailed me like a week later and i was like hey did you finish that book do you want to write a review about it (laughs) and i was like hey don't comment on the shit i'm checking out rude i know that's again it's like how i've mentioned before it's like the grocery store lady commenting on the food that we check out like i'll read what i read you don't i don't need to hear your opinion on it Yeah, usually I just take books that I want up to my office and check them out myself. (laughs) Anyway, uh, so let's go over the blurb first because it gives us context for the absolute genius that is the cover and design of this book. Much like your portion was shorter than normal for today, my portion will be longer. So let's get started. Something strange is happening at the Orsk Furniture Superstore in Cleveland, Ohio. Every morning, employees arrive to find broken, jarring bookshelves, shattered glands water goblets, and smashed Lyra Pip wardrobes. Sales are down, security cameras reveal nothing, and store managers are panicking. To unravel the mystery, three employees volunteer to work a nine-hour dusk-until-dawn shift. In the dead of night, they'll patrol the empty showroom floor, investigate strange sights and sounds, and encounter horrors that defy the imagination. A traditional haunted house story in a thoroughly contemporary setting, horror story is designed to retain its luster and natural appearance for a lifetime of use. Pleasingly proportioned with generous French flaps and a soft cover binding, horror store delivers the psychological terror you need in the elegant package you deserve. That's a lovely blurb. It's great. I love it. Okay. So, as I'm sure you've put together, this book is set in a knockoff Ikea called Orsk. Yeah, you can tell that by the cover, too. Yes. Well, I'm about to get to that. Don't be rude. (laughs) Now let's talk about the cover. Because, oh my gosh, it's so good. It's so amazing. I love it. So, I want to talk about, like, the design of the book as a whole but also with the cover involved. But I need to break down all the different people that worked on it because it's not just like a cover artist. So the design was done by Andy Reid. Illustrations were done by Michael Rogalski. And the cover photography was done by Christine Ferreira. The book itself is designed to look like a furniture store catalog, like those Ikea catalogs of old slash current. Ikea actually, so this is like the nerdy librarian in me, um, at some point in the middle of quarantine, made a digital archive of every single furniture catalog that they have released since like the 60s available. Hmm. And I just think that's so cool. It's genius. It's honestly just like a work of fucking art. Uh, The cover of the book is like a simple staged room, just like you would see in an Ikea catalog, you know, reasonably priced furniture, Scandinavian design. Uh, the only hint that something is amiss is the unnerving wall art with like 
the hands and stuff. But when you turn it over, bam, it's the exact same room, but it is completely changed. There are chains. There are scribbled messages. There are hands reaching through the bars over the void of the bookshelves. But don't worry, folks, those low, low prices are still clearly visible. Um, And what I like about this book is it's not just the cover. The interior of the book has been treated with the exact same meticulous attention to detail. I'm not going to break it all down for everything that's in the end pages because part of the fun of reading this book is reading through pretty much every single piece of print in the entire book and soaking up all of the details. And I do not want to take that experience away from you, gentle listeners. If you read this, seriously, look through every page Andy Reid pulled out all the stops and honestly deserves to be on the cover just next to Grady Hendrix. Can I tell you one of my favorite parts about this that I've just seen because I'm flipping through it is the author page with Grady Hendrix. <laughs> the picture of him is an Orsk ID badge. And the best part about it is that it's literally this terrible picture of him that looks like an employee badge picture. Yes. It's like, too funny. That's the level of detail that we're talking about here. It's so good. Even like the um at the bottom where the price is listed on the French flap, it talks about like available in white because the pages are white. Like it's just it's so good. Read through the whole thing. It's amazing. Um the last thing I'll mention about the design, I promise, um, is that each chapter heading includes a listing for a piece of furniture, and the furniture gets more ominous and unsettling as the story goes along. So, like, it starts with a couch, and it ends with, like, a spiked treadmill. Hmm. Actually, it doesn't end with that. It gets far worse. <laughs> um, But it's just very clear that no detail was overlooked. And that so much work went into this book. And I really think it paid off. I like it. I'm Visually, it is very cool. I I think it's the level of commitment to the project is admirable. Yeah. Um, and honestly, like, it's the reason why I'm obsessed with Grady Hendrix and why he's on my tea list. Most people have a bucket list. I have a list of people I'd like to have tea with. <laughs> For some reason in my head, I was like, that has to stand for something dirty, and I'm just not getting it. But no. No, no, no. I mean like a nice cup of Earl Grey. <laughs> um, okay, I promise that I will now stop talking about the design and stop talking about my, like, unnerving, he might get a restraining order, obsession with Grady Hendrix. And get to the story. I haven't done a breakdown of characters in a while, but this one has like a pretty small core cast, so it makes more sense here. So our main character is named Amy, and she's super jaded, and she hates her job, which, by the way, if you have worked in retail, or if you have worked in restaurants, you will recognize every single one of these characters. Okay. I've never worked in retail, but I have worked a lot in bars and restaurants, so. I haven't worked in retail either, but I know enough people who have to know that you see the same people. Yes. You work with the same types of people. So you've got Amy. She's super jaded. She hates her job, but she isn't really sure what she wants to do with her life, and Orsk pays the bills. Not very well, because she's always late on rent, but (laughs) Orsk pays the bills. Then you have Matt, and Matt's kind of a burnout 
but he's nice. His main priority is to bang a woman named Trinity. <laughs> uh, and you have Trinity. She is also super nice. She's portrayed as kind of like a stupid bimbo in the story. Uh, then you have Ruth Ann. She's an older lady, and she just thinks that Orsk is the fucking bee's knees. She loves working with Orsk. She is a proud member of the Orsk family. She's <laughs> retiring in two years. I don't know how many years, but I think it mentions that she's close to retirement age. And then you have Basil. Is Basil a dog? No. No, Basil is the manager. And I sighed <laughs> like that because he reminded me of every single manager that I had when I worked for an unnamed um, family restaurant mid-price that specializes in Southwest food, <laughs> including baby back ribs. <laughs> um, I hate Basil personally because he reminds me of all of those managers and he always spouts off little, like, quippy things about working for Orsk. Like, very clear corporate slogans. Yeah. It's just annoying. And I've worked for so many people like that. And I just want to punch them in the face. There are some people that really sort of subscribe to the uh, cult of corporations. Which, honestly... Since you say that, the next sentence in my notes are, do you really believe the drivel that you spew? Yeah. Um, I hate it. That said, he is raising his little sister. Um, and that's why he's working so hard to climb the ladder at Orsk. And so that makes me feel slightly bad for being a dick about him, but not bad enough. Yeah. I mean, I don't I don't judge anybody for doing any job. And obviously, we've talked about this before many times. I think the U.S. needs more of that, of not looking down upon people's jobs. But sometimes when you see people who are really, like, slaves to that sort of corporate theory, it's, like, kind of annoying. Yeah, it's not the manager. It's the approach to management. Yes. I should emphasize that. So our story is set up pretty succinctly in the blurb. Something weird is going on in the store after hours. Um, Basil ends up asking Ruth Ann and Amy to stay late with him to investigate. There's not much else to the lead in. There's like a little bit at the beginning when Amy is giving a tour to newbies. And that's mainly just fun because she's super bitter and super <laughs> sassy. And I identify. <laughs> I feel like it's like why I didn't train a whole lot of people when I was working in restaurants and stuff. They always they always have me train people. And I'm like, Why? Well, I mean, I bartended more than anything, and so I we you didn't hire a lot of new people, but, like, I feel like I come off sometimes very sort of, like, I don't know how to even say it, like, flat and kind, I guess, maybe jaded, but that a lot of it is, like, my humor, and so, like, I think, like, sometimes, especially in, like, because I did bartend some a little bit for some corporate style places though not that many and i think like those people do not like that kind of a personality like they want the super bubbly like super into it person that's not me the problem with me training people is i have zero hesitation when it comes to being like here's how you're supposed to do things this works better do it this way yeah and that tends to be frowned upon no matter where you work so yep anyway the only creepy part is that Amy sees a man that she knows doesn't work there before the store itself has actually opened, but he runs off and she literally has the thought process in her mind of, 
I'm not paid enough to figure out who that was. And that is such a mood. <laughs> yes, absolutely. Uh, so during the overnight investigation, the group hears some noises. And upon investigating, they find Matt and Trinity fooling around. They have stayed late in the store on their own because they think that the store is haunted. And they want to video it to start their own paranormal show. Or rather, Trinity believes this, and Matt wants to fuck Trinity, so he is on board. (laughs) Oh, good. By the way, I'm giving like a pretty in-depth blow-by-blow of this one, because it's been out for six years, and Grady Hendrix has become popular enough that I feel like if people really like him, they've read his backlog. If you haven't, and you don't want spoilers, I've said it before, I'll say it again, go read it. We'll be here when you get back. So Trinity and Ruth go off to distribute EMF meters throughout the showroom floor. (laughs) And Matt talks about how the side of Orisk used to be the... I am probably pronouncing this horribly incorrectly because I do believe it is an indigenous word, Kuyahaya Panopticon, which was a prison, which was run by a man named Josiah Wirth, who believed that constant surveillance and extremely hard labor were the cures for criminal activity. Yes, Panopticons was is like a psychological experiment prison where they were you were always visible yeah. to the guards and it is apparently like really psychologically tolling and um cruel so that's why they do not use them. Fun fact, education with your entertainment. <laughs> As they are trying to head back to the break area, They realize that they are repeatedly going through the office furniture section of the showroom floor. And so while they're trying to figure out what's going on, Matt glances down at the screen of his camera because, you know, paranormal show, and he sees the actual store. So when he's looking through the screen, he sees where they actually are. But when he's looking around, they're just repeatedly going through the same department. Okay. Um, And so using that screen... They navigate through repeated office furniture until they get back to the break room where everything kind of slides together in place. Hmm. It was fun. It was a fun scene. It's nice and unnerving. There is a mention, and I just, like, I say this specifically because there's a really cool illustration of it in the book, and it's the one that's marked with my penguin post-its. There's graffiti in the bathroom that gets worse every time that Amy goes in. Um, and it's names, length of time, and the word beehive over and over again. Spoiler, the beehive is the prison. And clearly, the store is indeed haunted. So is this like the store was the the store was the Panopticon? The store is on the site of the Panopticon. Oh, okay, okay. But it's not like the same building. No. Okay, okay. No, it's like a big box. Okay. Store. I think I wrote down the square footage in my original notes, but something absurd. If you've ever been in an Ikea, like, it's in Ikea. I've been in an Ikea one time in my life, and that was when I was, you know this, but that's when I went to Barcelona for law school, and I didn't have any furniture, so my roommate took me to Ikea in Spain. It was it was big. Yeah, it's pretty daunting. That's adorable. <laughs> I guess it is. He was very nice. I loved Ikea, honestly. I've been a couple of times, and I love them. A great deal, but I can't go now because I'll spend all the money I own. Anyway, so they see a man on security footage and they go to investigate. And his name is Carl. 
He is the man that Amy saw that morning. He is experiencing homelessness. So he just hides in the wardrobe section at clothes and then like lives his life in the store. But he does clarify like he has not been the one destroying things. Um, Apparently Orsk's slogan is like a home for everyone. So there's a really amusing point where Basil is like, oh, my God, I can't believe you're doing that. And he's like, what is a home for everyone? What you going to do about it? (laughs) It's great. I love it. So they decide that they aren't going to turn him in. And right around the time that's happening, the main lights on the showroom floor cut off. For spooky reasons, no, they're on a timer and it is 2 a.m. So what are a group of people to do in a big box store when the lights cut off? Hold a seance. God. This is why I'm giving you a blow by blow because it's great. Why? Why would you do that? Why are you trying to like poke the bear? Or poke the beehive or whatever you you call it. They're poking the beehive, all right. So in order to set up this seance in a cheap mass-produced particle board furniture store, they use a display dining room table with vanilla-scented votive candles, which can you imagine the headache? Um, also, they handcuff themselves together. I don't really get why. What could possibly go wrong? Wait. With, like, actual handcuffs? Yes. Why would you do that during a seance? I guess to, like, not break the circle. Uh, I mean, I can see the logic in that because I feel like whenever you watch, like, shows and stuff that are like, whatever you do, don't break the circle. And you're like, one of these idiots is going to break the circle. But even still, I'm not sure that that's a smart idea. Also, where do they just get handcuffs from? Like, security guard? I think Trinity had them. (laughs) Of course. Okay. Anyway, long story short, because the seance scene is actually really entertaining, so I don't want to give a blow-by-blow of it, the warden ends up possessing Carl, and then Carl uses the keys to get out of the handcuffs and then slashes his own throat open with a toothed edge of the handcuffs. Oh, that would take a lot of force. That's, those aren't that sharp. Well, he's possessed, so he's got the force of Josiah. Ghost, ghost strength. And then the emergency lights go out, because of course they do. And I, in my head, for some odd reason, started referring to Possessed Carl as a knockoff Night King. (laughs) So when the emergency lights go out, knockoff Night King is gone. Ruth and Trinity head back to the break room. Basil is also gone. And Amy and Matt use a flashlight. And as they're searching around, they find Corpse Warden Carl knockoff Night King. And he goes down the hallway and through a fake door. How you go through a fake door? It's not fake anymore. Okay. It takes you to the beehive. So he opens up. It's like what? Like a door in a wall or something? Yep. And mm-hmm. the beehive is behind it. Okay. At this point, Amy and Matt are attacked and separated. And Amy is trapped to a chair that cuts off like basically all of her circulation. Like her circulation to her legs. Like she's super strapped. Okay. Um, and just, God, I, how much caffeine had I had when I wrote these notes? Because I now have him written as Josiah Corpse Warden Carl, uh, basically says that she has ghosts in the blood. And so they blindfold her and they pluck her ears so that she has complete sensory deprivation. Yeah, that sounds miserable. 
Yep, I thought the same thing. My therapist once was like, what if you go to one of those tanks where you float and like you can't hear anything and it's just like a sensory deprivation experience? I'm like, oh, you want me to be alone with my thoughts? No. I hate things in my ears. It really bothers me. So Basil shows up to save her and good God, can you imagine how much it hurt when she started regaining circulation? Does it hurt when you regain circulation? Like when your arm is you get, asleep. like pins and needles, is that what that yeah, is? Yeah, that's what oh, I'm talking yeah. about. I don't like it. I feel like it hurts. There's another confrontation. Basil is taken again. Amy flees. Amy briefly has Trinity. She loses Trinity again. But then Amy makes it to a, the parking lot. And she's about to escape. She makes it outside. And then she turns around because character growth. <laughs> She has to go in and save somebody. Exactly. God, people are so stupid. I know. Save yourself. It's also a coworker. It's not like a family member. This is true. Sorry, coworkers of mine who listen to us. <laughs> I just realized that after I said that. Oops. So she hears Ruth Ann screaming in the general direction of the break room. The older one? She's going to go in for the older one? She's She's only got a couple years left in her anyway. <laughs> Come on. I mean, really, in a couple of years, she's going to leave the company, and then the company won't care anymore anyway, so. Oh, yeah, she'll be replaced real fast. Yeah. Um, Amy can't find her at first, but then she finds a hole in the drywall, and it turns out that Ruth Ann had crawled inside. Um, and so Ruth Ann, like, crazily comes up to the hole, and they're talking, and Amy's about to get her to come out when Ruth Ann is grabbed mm-hmm. from behind and basically just snaps. And she's like... They can't see me if I can't see them. And then gouges her own eyes out. That's like, um, that's a really extreme response. Yeah. Yeah. It was fun though. (laughs) So Amy goes back into the beehive to find Basil and she saves him. And as they're fleeing, knockoff Night King accosts them and tells them his long-winded story about how when his prison was going to be closed, he locked all of the prisoners, who he called penitents, into the basement and then flooded it to kill them. Okay. And so that's why the land is haunted. You know, Ruthann was being grabbed by the zombie prisoners. They were writing the graffiti in the bathroom. That's all that's happening here. That's a good origin story. And that's when the store starts to fill with water. That's a big store, though. I feel like it takes a lot of water. It does. I mean, it, there's plenty of pot. <laughs> so a bunch of penitents show up and end up attacking Knockoff Night King, which is great. And then they turn to Amy and Basil, which is less great. And they get locked into wardrobes. Amy and Basil get locked into wardrobes. Yes. Okay. In a flooding store. And there's a nice harrowing scene of escape, but they're also particle board, so. Don't they just, like, waterlog and then you just push through them? Basically. Okay. I mean, that's essentially what happens. So, they end up getting to the door. There's even more harrowing scenes involving a literal wave of rats. And that's about it. Do they survive? Amy and Basil survive. And there is a brief epilogue where Amy goes back to the store... It has been bought by another company and she applies and gets hired so she can get in after hours. She goes back to save Matt and Trinity and Ruth Ann. So I'm still waiting for a sequel, personally, honestly. Hmm. Because it's there. 
<laughs> there. All in all, I loved this book. I'm going to give it five out of five Allen wrenches, which you need to construct particle board furniture. Uh, a lot of that is the genius of the design of the book, though. It's so clear how much Grady Hendrix has grown as a writer in his later books. And it was really noticeable going back. Uh, if the design hadn't been so good, I probably would have given it like a four. Maybe have broken my attempt to not do half points <laughs> and given it a 3.5. <laughs> but still, it's good. Read it. I like it. Well, if you were in Horror Store, would you be killed? Let's assume that those left behind die because I keep saying no in my books, so I want an excuse to say yes. So yes, probably. I have no idea how to advocate for myself for work, and so if I were asked to stay late, I probably would. And in the U.S., no one cares if their employees die. <laughs> Yikes, that's, that's too real. <laughs> Would you die in rebirth? Um, you know, it's weird because I usually I think say no, but I'm probably gonna give this one a yes. Most people die in this. If without giving away too many spoilers, if not by zombies, then by some of the other people who are in like some of the other cast members. And it's weird because I think initially I think my thought of like slow zombies is like you can just run past them but the thing is is like there's this sort of like relentless horde quality to them that like eventually they will catch you or their numbers are just going to be too much to overcome and so yeah probably would die i probably would too honestly like i don't really like the idea of living the rest of my life running yeah well the end so the end of um in the end of Night of the Living Dead, it's actually very weird because the zombies are never completely conquered, but society kind of, like, starts to, like, kill them and, like, it almost, like, there are people that, like, kill them for, like, sport and, like, tally them up and, like, they're, like, throwing zombie corpses onto, like, big bonfires and stuff like that. It's it's weird. Interesting. Anyway, thank you so much for listening. If you want to find us on social media, you can find us on Second to Die Pod on Twitter and Instagram and Goodreads. You can also email us questions, comments, suggestions, concerns, corrections, whatever you want. Or, you know, you can also comment on any of the posts that we've done. But our email is secondtodiepod at gmail.com. And remember, if you can't be first, you can always be second to die.